Welcome to TKG's Healthcare Insights, where we explore healthcare's critical issues, challenges, and trends with a focus on achieving the quadruple aim of enhancing patient experience, improving population health, reducing costs, and improving the work life of healthcare providers and staff. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome. We're glad to have you listening today. I'm Warren Smedley with the Kinetics Group. A few weeks ago, we hosted our quarterly meeting of the Oncology Thought Leaders Network, part of TKG's Networks of Excellence, where we discussed three critical issues in cancer center administration and care delivery. In this episode of TKG's Healthcare Insights, we will be highlighting the findings from our meeting and exploring some of the issues in a little more detail. My co-hosts today are Sarah Pugh, an oncology nurse and senior director with the Kinetics Group, and Neil Pizer, a senior consultant and co-facilitator of our Oncology Thought Leaders Network. Welcome, Sarah and Neil. Hi, Warren. It's great to be here with you. It's always nice to join you for these conversations. Hey, Warren. Thanks for having me on, and welcome, Ellen. The Kinetics Group is dedicated to advancing the quadruple aim, and to that end, we have organized several strategic networks of excellence to provide our team with insights, directional focus, and opportunities to collaborate on specific research and operational work projects. The Oncology Thought Leaders Network is a group of 16 senior-level oncology executives from across the country who bring a multidisciplinary perspective to the critical issues facing the delivery of high-quality cancer care. This group meets virtually each quarter, as well as provides ad hoc input and support for various client projects, grant-funded research, informational podcasts, and answering various important operational questions on an ongoing basis. Today's special guest is a great friend, colleague, and thought leader panel member, Ellen Feinstein. Ellen is a longtime oncology and healthcare executive. Neil and I have had the privilege of working alongside Ellen on several national committees, and including the Vizient Cancer Center Network Steering Committee. And we highly value Ellen's expertise in oncology administration, service line management, and healthcare leadership. Welcome, Ellen. Thank you for being on our podcast today. Thank you, Warren, for having me. Okay, team, let's jump in. Today, we're going to debrief and highlight some of the more important findings from the most recent Oncology Thought Leaders Network meeting, which was held virtually a few weeks ago. Sarah, let's start with a quick review of the findings from the Enodio background work you did prior to this meeting. Okay, that sounds great. At the Kinetics Group, prior to any of our advisory discussions, we like to employ the Enodio process um, to really help frame our meeting discussions and optimize the valuable time we have with our thought leaders like um, Ellen, who's joining us today. So to prepare for this particular meeting, we solicited information from oncology thought leaders about post-pandemic impacts, challenges, and innovations that they've experienced. In other words, we really wanted to know what the new normal looks like in oncology care after the pandemic. So our Enodio pre-meeting process found a few things. It found that the overwhelming majority, or about 90% of thought leaders, reported that clinical operations, digital technology, and provider experience were the areas that were greatest impacted by the pandemic. And they continue to be challenged with ongoing and residual issues related to things like remote patient care workflows, care team stress and well-being, 
recovering the lost and delayed care during the pandemic. And this also adds to another challenge of really having unclear financial impacts of the pandemic. So in the face of these challenges, um, the oncology thought leaders um, shared with us the operational adaptations that they've seen and that they expect to endure beyond the pandemic. Some of those adaptations included things like expanded virtual care and telehealth, increasing transitions to community sites of care. We've seen shorter radiation therapy schedules. In addition, they also expect to see remote workforce continuation for some employees and a continued focus on infection control policies as as can be expected. Now, other ongoing challenges were also mentioned by oncology thought leaders that were not necessarily related to the pandemic, but were still very significant. And those included things like the under-reimbursement of novel therapies that were reported by about 89% of the oncology leaders that we spoke with. In addition to continued reimbursement concerns and policy issues, as well as new competitors within the market and how to address those. Finally, we wanted to understand what critical success factors are important in this new normal setting. Our experts told us that important operational success factors would include things like being flexible, adaptable, and having nimble decision-making capabilities. Having efficient workflows and a culture of innovation that includes technology, virtual care, and triage is important, as well as having a solid infection control protocol and um, future response planning is going to be important as well. Another success factor for operational Um, success is going to be um, having a strong understanding of the cost impacts um, and evolving reimbursement models that are going to continue to come. Patient-focused critical success factors were also reported, and those include um, a strong focus on financial toxicity and patient satisfaction, while workforce-related critical success factors included a focus on provider satisfaction, recruitment and retention of high-quality oncology caregivers and employees, as well as really giving others grace and understanding that everyone's facing challenges during this pandemic. So, Warren, that was kind of what we found out from the um, Enodio pre-engagement survey with the oncology experts. I'll turn it back to you. Thank you, Sarah. This group has covered a lot of ground. There's a lot to talk about in oncology and oncology care delivery. Ellen, let me turn to you. And as a seasoned oncology executive, and of course, a member of the panel, so you participated in the pre-meeting study. I'd like to get your thoughts on on all of this, kind of where this is going. And really from the perspective of taking care of cancer patients by getting them on the right therapy at the right time in the right place and keeping them on that therapy, presumably for the best possible outcomes. What are your reactions to all this that we came out in this pre-meeting survey? Well, um, I would say, first of all, that all of those findings certainly resonated with me. I did participate in the survey, and there were no surprises, I think, is my first reaction. The second point, I think, is around, particularly in cancer, a number of other service lines may or may not have been impacted as greatly, because quite frankly, cancer and its treatment does not wait. So, for example, in the orthopedic space, 
a knee replacement could wait until it was safe to come back to the OR, safe to come back to the provider space, and so on. But patients who were either newly diagnosed or in uh, active therapy could not necessarily defer those services and had to keep coming back to sometimes what they perceived as a facility that might be unsafe because of the unknowns around the pandemic and around this, you know, what we call the new or now, maybe we call it the now normal around changes in our operations to make sure that things are safe, both for patients, their families, as well as the providers that are delivering that care. And I think the other piece around the residual changes, certainly workflows have been impacted. The advent of virtual visits has been in some ways a godsend. Certainly, I won't call it a silver lining because there's too many, you know, black linings to this uh, pandemic, but the genie is out of the bottle. And that's what we heard um, in most of our discussions. So using virtual care, virtual visits, for things like supportive oncology, certainly behavioral health type visits, as well as follow-up visits, has really been a game changer for the operations as well as for the patients and the providers. And then the last thing I'd want to sort of pick up on under those critical success factors, I've been speaking with a number of healthcare providers, health systems, and cancer centers And overwhelmingly, I think that last point that Sarah made around giving others grace is really all about um, leadership and others embracing empathy. And when we talk about empathy, it's not only just, you know, understanding how others are feeling or, or experiences that they're going through, but changing the way that we approach, again, both our patients and families, as well as each other in that, quote, giving others grace. So recognizing the impact of the pandemic, yes, our staff are continuing to come on site and treat patients, but they also have personal challenges around school-aged children at home, maybe learning virtually, elderly parents who they may or may not be able to see in person, and all of the personal aspects that do impact their personal lives as well as their work lives. Recognizing that and doing whatever we can to not only recognize but accommodate those very personal needs, I think has really been a game changer for all of us. The last point I do want to make is about financial toxicity. As we continue to see changes in reimbursement and really the transformation of our payer mix, as so many people were out of work or lost their jobs, they may have gone from commercial insurance through their employer to being insured by the government, whether it's Medicare as we age or Medicaid as we face financial challenges and lose our insurance. Those are areas that I think have really um, helped us identify patients early and address that potential financial toxicity proactively, um, not only to increase satisfaction, but ultimately to increase adherence to care. So those are some of the key takeaways that I heard from some of the points that Sarah made. Very good. That comment about giving others grace, I think really resonated with me also. Know I've studied uh, some of the overall burden and impact of cancer on a patient and their family. And Dr. Carl May wrote on this back in 2014, talked about the total burden of care. And there's so much that's placed on a patient and their family or their immediate care team to take care of a person with cancer. And then we add to it all the issues of the pandemic. And it really becomes very, very stressful 
outside of the diagnosis itself. So that resonated with me also. Neil, anything in there jump out at you as surprising? Uh, I wouldn't say surprising, but um, just hearing Ellen speak and looking at those survey results again and hearing from Sarah, just amazing how many challenges that exist out there right now. And, and what I sort of want to move on to at this point is, you know, during the, the session we had, we had a conversation about other challenges that people are facing. So I'm going to just go through a few of those that came up in the conversation because they're, they're really important. They're really interesting. Uh, you know, about a half dozen areas of Scott were discussed, many of which are actually expansions upon the results of the survey and, and uh, expansions upon what Ellen just talked about. And we're going to be convening some subgroups for deep dive discussions into many of these challenges. But um, interestingly, Ellen, our guest, actually started the conversation at that time, noting that uh, while academic NCI-designated cancer centers are known for latest advances in diagnostic and treatment, be it current, emerging, under trial, community oncology providers are proliferating and creating new competition. And the question posed by Ellen was, how do we maintain our relevance to the referring community, noting our costs tend to be higher? And again, a lot of good conversation followed. A few initial thoughts were, first, these advanced centers need to demonstrate with evidence to the referring community that their greater value, they, they provide greater value both clinically and financially, and finance, of course, has just come up. Further, given that payers can influence where patients access their care and have a propensity to refer to lower cost settings, centers need to demonstrate longitudinal value to payers too. Neil, that's a great point. Um, yes, I raised this, but what I really wanted to highlight is all of the things you mentioned and uh, the challenge that all of us as leaders within NCI-designated cancer centers have to educate our respective constituents, be it the payer community, be it referring oncologists and primary care physicians, as well as consumers, i.e. patients and their families. Um, there are lots of choices out there, and there are some very competent and high-touch, high-tech community competitors. So when we're talking about um, how do we differentiate ourselves, we all know that it's differentiated about quality, access to novel therapies, cutting-edge technology, but in the minds of referring physicians as well as consumers, that may not mean much to them or they don't even know what what we're talking about and are we talking about it so and i'm not to necessarily alluding to we need more marketing but i would put that under the umbrella of education what is the differentiator between a nci designated cancer center oftentimes located in an urban setting that's far from where our patients live what is the imperative or what is the value of them coming to us versus their local medical oncology group or their local community hospital that has some of the same accreditations that we do in the NCI cancer centers? Why should they go out of their way to come on site at sometimes great distance? Um, and what will be ultimately the value added to that experience? In addition, I would say the other thing that we all have to rise to the occasion is the service element. Again, I mentioned high-tech, high-touch. Um, I think we've only really begun in the past maybe 
10 years at most to really pay attention to the service delivery, starting with access, uh, you know, getting that first appointment once you've been diagnosed, that's an emotional emergency, all the way through to being seen efficiently, not wasting a moment's time of our patients and their families who have very precious little time. And so it's upon us to make sure our operations are efficient. Um, and this is all around differentiation. I could certainly go on. But those are some of the things that we talked about around what is what is the draw? What, what is the value proposition, if you will, of going sometimes out of your way to an NCI designated cancer center or an academic medical center versus staying local and getting you know, sort of good enough care uh, without having to be inconvenienced. And maybe the conversation should also include how do we collaborate with the community? Because these large academic medical centers, even if they wanted, even the patients wanted to come in large numbers, there's only a certain amount of capacity at these large centers. But finding ways to collaborate more efficiently and effectively so that the kinds of thing, the kinds of expertise that the academic centers bring can be brought to the patient, even if they're in the community, or perhaps that may be a more efficient setting for them. So we might be even be able to think more expansively about how do we collaborate, not just one or the other. Uh, I think that's a great point, Warren, in that many of our National Cancer Institute designated cancer centers have networks whether they are local, regional, or national. And I think we all know, you know which ones are which. Um, it's really important. I often remind our C-suite leaders, we do not wish to bite the hand that feeds us. And by that, I mean, if we are getting referrals for things that can't be done in the community, let's say stem cell transplants or CAR T-cell therapy, we do not want to necessarily try to win all of the referrals for, you know, standard leukemia cases or standard breast cancer cases. We want to see the triple negative breast cancers that really can't be done in the community, but also recognizing that the, the competition is actually getting better at what they can and can't do. So one example is in meeting with our community oncologists a couple years ago and having kind of a feedback session they are well-trained and what they used to refer to us for acute leukemia cases, they now take care of on their own in their practices. So some of that is a little bit of, um, you know, disruptive and cannibalization, but always being mindful that we don't wish to compete with for every single cancer case. We're looking to take the most challenging cases, partner with those community providers, certainly send the patients back when, when it's appropriate and, and have a collaborative uh, relationship versus a competitive one. That's a good point. Ellen, I have a question about that. You mentioned talking to, you know, those in the C-suite and whatnot about not biting the hen that feeds you, as you put it. Um, how do they respond to that? It, it, you know, is that something that you see that, you know, they're willing to consider? Or is that a challenge that, that you face in your position? I would say it's somewhat of a challenge. And I was, um, you can't see this because it's a podcast, but I was smiling when you asked what the response was. I do recall um, in one discussion, we were planning to open a big box specialty care center in the community, which was absolutely going to be, you know, physically it's competing with our neighbors who have a very large practice as well. 
And I gave that caveat to our C-suite leaders that, you know, we just want to think about what that could do. Could it erode the referrals for the for the um, things that we really want to see by trying to capture the bread and butter cases. And the response over really from the top leader was that's just something that we're, you know, we're going to have to pursue and and we'll deal with it if it happens. And what we actually, you know, found out not to say, I told you so, but what we did realize was (laughs) we had a couple of practices say, that's it. You're right in my backyard now. And I'm not going to refer my stem cell transplant patients to you as a result. Um, so, you know, you can, you can give the caveat and it may or may not be um, embraced. What I wound up doing though, was also relying on our physicians to be, you know, give a similar message and be that voice to the higher ups in case maybe they would listen to them versus me. Um, but it's always a risk and sometimes it's a risk worth taking and others, you know, it can backfire. Okay. This has been a great discussion, but once again, there was so much great material discussed in the oncology thought leaders network meeting that this debrief ran way too long for a single episode. So we are going to press the pause button right here and split this discussion into three parts. We'll pick back up from this point in our discussion in part two. Ellen Feinstein is a great friend, colleague, and healthcare leader, and I really appreciate her partnership in exploring the critical issues in healthcare focused on achieving the quadruple aim for cancer patients. In part two, Ellen, Neil, Sarah, and I will continue this conversation talking about how we can enhance academic and community partnerships, leverage centers of excellence in patient care, the importance of accurate pathology, and more changes we are experiencing in the now normal, as Ellen referred to it in the current state. Special thanks to Ellen, Neil, and Sarah for sharing their time and expertise with us today. Well, this wraps up another week of TKG's Healthcare Insights. Thank you for joining us. We welcome your suggestions, ideas, and requests for podcast topics of interest. Please email us at oncology at com and write Insights Podcast in the subject line. Thank you. Have a safe and healthy day. You have been listening to TKG's Healthcare Insights, a program produced by the TKG Oncology team of the Kinetics Group. TKG Oncology empowers life science companies to effectively engage with health system and payer customers by developing strategies and real-world solutions aimed at impacting the right patient at the right time with the right care. We also work directly with health systems and payers to address the critical issues of our time. We would love to hear from you reach out to us at tkgoncology.com. Thank you for joining us today.